The True Tone Lounge podcast features audio-only versions of our video interviews. To view those, please visit truetonelounge.com or our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash truetonefx. I'm Zach Childs, and welcome to the True Tone Lounge. Today, our guest is Tom Hemby. Welcome. Thanks, Zach. Great to be here with you. Well, you know, kind of looking into your past, it seems that you were born in Poplar Bluff and then uh, moved to a little town called Puxico. Yes, Poplar Bluff, Missouri, my birthplace, and then about 20, 25 miles from there of this little town, Puxico, where I was raised, and right in, right in the edge of the Ozarks, you know, okay. so. What did your parents do? My uh, my father owned a sawmill for many years, and but both my parents were actually kind of novice musicians. My father, okay. he's he loved bluegrass music. Played uh, he had a big old Martin guitar. He played all the time, and yeah. I used to play with him when I was a kid. We'd play, we every year we'd play uh, at these square dance things at our annual homecoming. You know, which was like five nights of constant square dancing with thirty minute sets, and, <laughs> and so I learned how to play uh, Black Mountain Rag and all those great tunes. You know. And they, <laughs> wow. So was guitar your first instrument? Actually, mandolin was my first instrument. When I was okay. seven years old, my dad uh, actually stuck a little mandolin in my hand, showed me a couple of chords, and I just fell in love with it. And I just became obsessed with it. Even at seven years old, I just sat around for hours, you know, just yeah. strumming. So, And I played that, um, and, and I have to add, too, that, you know, actually growing up in church, my mother, she had us in church every time the church door was open, and, and so... Uh, Actually, learned to play by playing in church as well, because anybody could play an instrument. You just kind of came in, and you know, growing up in a rural area of Missouri, where you were kind of hurting for any kind of musicianship anyway, uh, uh, it was a great opportunity to learn as a kid. You know, to play what? in ensembles. Yeah. And so between playing with my dad in bluegrass bands and playing uh, in church with my mother, you know, and I got a got a good uh, start there. You know, with uh, learning how to improvise and what have you. And, yeah, well, because. Most of the time in the in you know churches in the rural areas, I mean, they didn't have charts or anything like that. You just you, know. you just called out a song, or you just started yeah. playing a song. Turn to page one thirty-five, and maybe the band will know this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, did you play up in front of the congregation, or were you were you in in the congregation playing your instrument? Or did you uh, no, we were we were up on the you know sitting in the pew up on the front, okay. you know, by the piano player. So, right. You know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> So how did the guitar kind of supplant the mandolin as, a, as kind of your favorite instrument? Well, it's, it's a, it, the story is this. When I was 10 years old, I heard uh, two guitar players playing. And uh, when I found out these two guitar players was actually one guy, 
I became obsessed with learning how to do that. And it was Chet Atkins when I heard this guy playing rhythm and, and melody right. at the same time. I'm like, what in the heck is that? You know. So, so I I uh, just became obsessed with learning how to play yeah. guitar like Chet, like thousands of other people have through the yeah. years. So. So what was the song? Do you remember what what song it was? You know, I can't even remember what tunes it was. I just I remember I got a hold of one of his albums. And then after that, I bought multiple albums, you know, and mm -hmm. and, uh, and so I, I remember there was this uh, one song in particular, and I can't remember what the name of it was. Uh, it's been so many years ago, but my dad told me, you know, hey, if you learn to play that, I'll buy you an electric guitar, you know. So, <laughs> so that was like on Wednesday, and by Friday, I had it down. So he, we had to make a trip yeah. to the music store. Yeah. So, so what was that first electric guitar? My first electric guitar was actually a Gibson SG, just exactly to the one, uh, just like the one Angus Young plays, you know, ACDC. Wow. It was in 1966, and I would give you that guitar today. <clears throat> but I had it about a year and a half, and then it got a slight bow in the neck. Of course, we're not really knowing anything about guitar repair or anything. Mm -hmm. Folks actually traded it in on a great uh, uh, Gibson 335, which was probably 68. 67 or 68, 335, I would imagine. So, and I played that guitar for years, you know. So, so in the evolution of your playing, you were playing in you know bluegrass, and mm -hmm. then of course you were playing in your church. And so when you started playing the electric guitar, mm -hmm. you know, I, I'm guessing you didn't continue to play bluegrass on electric guitar. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah. No, uh, you know, it, the amazing thing was I was so hung up on the Chet Atkins thing, and then I, which kind of uh, introduced me to hearing a lot of other great country players like I, I loved I loved guitar players that had great tones like Chet, nice thick rich tones, great touch. Grady Martin was another great influence to me when I was a kid, you know, who played on tons of country records in that era. And, probably, uh, probably his most famous recording would be El Paso, the Marty Robbins yeah, tune where he yeah. played uh, <clears throat> steel string. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, but he also played, he also he had that NL-335 that it just had a sweet, sweet tone to it that I, I could always pick it out in any country record I ever heard. But then what happened one day, uh, you know, of course, the during that period of time, the Beatles kind of uh, squeezed away in there too, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was, suddenly that caught my ear. And then one day I, <clears throat> I, I heard this fabulous guitar tone on a record. And cause, because like I said, I was always kind of drawn to nice, thick, rich tones. Most rock guitar Prior to that, I'd heard was you know really twangy kind of stuff, and I wasn't really digging that, you know. Mm -hmm. and, but one day I heard this thick bluesy, just singing guitar on this one tune called Twenty Five or Sixty Four, and it was Terry Kath of yes. Chicago, obviously. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what is that? And I just became obsessed with learning how to to get to that point, you know, of uh, tone and and chops and stuff by listening right. to Terry. So, you know, Chicago became a huge influence right. to me and early on. And so, then that which led, you know, at that period of time, there was like Chicago, and then I heard Carlos Santana, I loved his tones, he got on records and stuff. And then that just kind of threw me into uh, an, another arena of uh, musicianship from great, you know, jazz rock players and stuff, mm -hmm. so. Yeah, because before, you know, Terry Kath, you know, most, you know, rock players played, you know, kind of, they kind of mimicked Chuck Berry. Right. Or yeah. they, they kind of, or they played some blues licks, 
and Terry was one of the first guys that was kind of mixing in, you know, uh, different, you know, kind of more outside playing yeah. and, and more interesting note choices because he he has at least some jazz, you know, background. It was definitely fusiony, you know. Yes. And so yeah, he 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 did a great marriage of uh, of jazz and and rock there, you know, that, yeah. with some fire and soul in it too. So yeah. you know, and then you know at the same time, I mean, I just become you know that period of my life. It's just like one thing led to another, and I. Ashley became hooked on Motown too, you know. Just loved hear, hearing great rhythm and blues Motown stuff, right. and so and, and was this like the earlier you know '60s Motown stuff, or some of the '70s stuff by the time like Jackson Five and things like, like when they were well, recording in LA? even before Jackson Five, yeah. Okay, you know, yeah. There yeah. was the stylistics and people like that. Uh, that right, I was into you know. So, uh, hmm. but yeah, but and then yeah, obviously when the Jacksons came on the scene, that just kind of. I think that opened up the world of uh, R&B for everybody, you know, so. Uh, but then from there, you know, I just uh, started hearing great uh, uh, players like guys that were session cats in L.A., like Larry Carlton, who's mm -hmm. a friend of mine. Hey, Larry. Yeah. And, um, you know, which had great influences on me, too, as far as chops and tone and technique and and uh, note choices. and mm -hmm. So it was he and guys like Jay Graydon, even my buddy Steve Lukather, and, and uh, all these cats just had a tremendous effect on what I, what yeah. I do now. And, and, uh, and then, you know, as years gone by, there's been so many other great guitar players yeah. that uh, have... Uh, Scott Anderson was a, probably a great influence, too, through, you know, the later years here. Right. But, uh, so let's back up a little bit. So you had, you had a 63... I'm not a, Sorry, a '68 335 that mm -hmm. you were playing, and, mm -hmm. and what what else were you, uh, what else was your rig at that point in the in the late '60s? You know, what kind of amp and did My you have amp. a pedal or well, anything? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, I was looking for a great distortion pedal, and I ended up buying this thing called a Fender Blender. I had no idea what it was. I didn't know that it was actually an octave fuzz. Yes. When I got this thing, I'm like, I can't get these tones out of. Like these guys, what is it? What's the deal? You know, what am right. I doing wrong here? Because and, it was a fuzz and yeah, a high octave, yeah, and like, so you could never get rid of that. Yeah, and it's just like, what is this? And so I messed with that thing, and, and then one day, I had a friend of mine that had a uh, uh, a Sears airline uh, tape recorder that had two preamp in it, and had speakers, and it had quarter inch jacks. And one day I plugged into that just to hear something on the guitar. And I didn't realize that I had it turned wide open. And when I did, this great tube fuzz thing happened. I'm like, holy cow, that's that's what I've been looking for right there. So I actually made that my first fuzz pedal. I mean, that was the first real thing that I was using for great distortion. Yeah. So would you put you put that in front of your amp, or, or, do I you, did. or did you just plug I came, it in? Yeah. I'm not knowing any better, you know. Yeah. It had a, you know, had a low output anyway, so right. I was coming out of the output of that, plugging it straight in amp. So the speaker yeah. output was going to the input of your amp. Yeah. Is that, yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 So um, <laughs> I had that, uh, and at the time, I remember in, um, it was probably around 1968 or 69, that, uh, you know, I wanted an Echoplex. That was the cool thing, you know, at the mm -hmm. time. And so I actually worked for my father on summer and sawmill so I could buy, buy the Echoplex and buy the 335, I you know, paid him back for that. And and he was really good about that. I mean, he, he got me the stuff, but, you know, he let me be responsible and pay for it, which I really appreciate him doing and give him, yeah. put appreciation for the value of, of what you have, you know. And, 
And uh, so, uh, so my my rig ended up being at that time. You know, I had the and I also had a uh, it was a Maestro Boomerang volume and wall pedal. Nice. So I had that. Uh, I would uh, run that into the uh, the tape recorder. Output of that through the Echoplex and then into the amp. You know, so. <laughs> So I got some crazy tones back then when I was a kid, yeah. you know. Well, how did you end up moving to Nashville? Well, I, through a series of circumstances, and, and I ended up um, kind of following some friends of mine up to uh, Central Illinois, who that they had a uh, they had a small gospel group. There was a family, you know, and I used to play with these guys around my age, and we'd travel on weekends, play some local area churches and things, and they ended up moving to Central Illinois. So I um, I kind of followed them up there one summer and ended up staying and uh, uh, ended up meeting my wife there, my wife-to-be. So we got married and um, we're living in that area. And one night we went to uh, an Imperials concert in Lincoln, College, Lincoln Christian College. And I found out that uh, during the course of that evening, uh, I found out that they were going to be uh, replacing a guitar player that was leaving, so I was told maybe I should go check that out, you know. And so I approached uh, the group owner at the time, Armin Morales, and uh, and I, I'm like, hey, here you look for a guitar player. You play a guitar, and I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> so, well, as it turns out, I um, auditioned, but it, 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 I found out that the guitar player that was leaving uh, was that I would thought I was going to be replacing. The guy that was playing bass at the time, he actually was a guitar player himself, and he couldn't decide if he was going to play, stay on the bass, or if he wanted to play guitar. <clears throat> and I happened to be doing some bass gigs as well, you know, I had been doing that, and so when I auditioned for the group, I actually auditioned on bass and guitar. They hired me, and for two weeks, I wasn't sure what instrument I was going to be playing until I, you know, until James Hollihan, the guy that was, um, decided to move over to guitar, I, mm -hmm. I had to wait on him and what his decision was going to be. So, uh, uh, and then I ended up uh, the first um, a couple of years that I moved here, I actually was a bass player playing on the road with those guys. And, and then one day James left and went with uh, one of the singers that left, uh, who was Russ Taff. Then I moved over to guitar and started playing. And uh, and by that time, I started getting a reputation around town a little bit, you know, for. Uh, playing and uh, so started doing some demo sessions here and there and then the next thing I know I was getting called to play on a few records and and then one day I had an opportunity uh, I was approached by Amy Grant's organization to go out on the road with them so and when I did that uh, thinking I was maybe it's going to be hired as a guitar player they decided hey you know what I think we're going to have you play bass and they hired this other guitar player a good friend of mine now Jerry McPherson and uh, so I ended up playing bass with her a couple years on the road and switching out on guitar on some tunes and then her then husband, uh, Gary Chapman, decided one day he wanted to be bass player on the next tour so I ended up playing guitar. <laughs> you know, so, so I bounced around a lot between bass and guitar early on but uh, after that I've just, I've just kind of hung with the guitar and uh, that's my first love and what I really wanted to do. I enjoy playing bass but being a fingerstyle guitar player who has fingernails, the bass actually kind of really messes with uh, what yeah. you do there. It gets so. in the way of your attack yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And you just kind of eat them away on those big strings, too. So. <laughs> yeah. 
So you you moved to Nashville and mm -hmm. with with your wife, mm -hmm. and uh, you know of course you had you know you had a gig with the Imperials, mm -hmm. which were a, a gospel mm -hmm. you know a, a vocal group, mm -hmm. and then uh, and then after working with the Imperials for a number of years, I, that th then you then you hooked uh, then you started playing with Amy Grant, mm -hmm. okay, yeah. and so then uh, what albums were you touring behind with Amy Grant? Uh, like the first album I did with her was an album called Straight Ahead. Okay. And then uh, after that, there was, uh, we had a year off, and we, then we toured an album uh, for her. That, while she was working on that record, uh, we uh, toured the next record, which was Unguarded. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that's and, the two albums. I and so you were, you were part of that tour? Yeah. Now, yeah. Was, was that the last, you know, after that, you kind of, you know, stopped touring after that? Well, uh, interesting thing happened when we took a year off in between those records. I started getting a lot of calls for record dates, and so I started doing a fair amount of that stuff, and then uh, by the time the Unguarded tour uh, had ended, uh, there was going to be some more time before anybody was to make any decisions about what was going to be happening, and, uh, and I actually just had made my mind up to start pursuing the studio thing full time, so... Mm -hmm. And it's a good thing because actually you can get asked back out to go on that on the next tour. But <laughs> there was a different uh, setup of people at that point, but you know uh, it worked out for the best. And um, so yeah, I, that's when that was probably in the late '80s that I just probably in the year of '87 something like that I decided just to go full time studio musician, you know, and was sweating bullets about work, you know, and then one day I realized, hey. I've been doing this for a year now. I guess people are actually calling. So, <laughs> well, Tom, let's let's take a break okay. and then let's come back and let's talk some more about your session work. Okay. All right. Here. Tom, you were telling us about uh, about you know finishing the uh, unguarded tour with Amy Grant, and then mm -hmm. you, you started doing some session work, and then before you knew it, you knew you you know you'd been doing sessions for a year. So tell us what happened from there. More sessions and more sessions. So yeah. the, there was a quite of uh, quite a period of time that I just ended up you know that's that was that was pretty much it. Yeah. Well, actually, what am I saying? That's been it to this point. You know, yeah. doing session work. So so who yeah. are some of the clients that <clears throat> that you started working with? You know, right off the bat. Yeah. Well, uh, there were some. Uh, there was a, a couple of producers at that time when I first got off the road that I worked for quite frequently, and and uh, one of those was a good friend of mine, Keith Thomas, who I just ended up working with yesterday, as a matter of fact. And uh, Brown Bannister, another great producer. I worked a lot with those fellows through the '80s and '90s, and uh, played on a lot of contemporary Christian music records. And but I also worked with a lot of other folks too. You know. Uh, uh, had an opportunity to play some some country and pop records, uh, 
people uh, that I've worked with, <coughs> well, uh, Faith Hill and Charlie Daniels and uh, Winona Judd, even uh, pop things like Barry Manilow, Michael McDonald, Kenny Loggins. Uh, so, you know, it's just, it just, things kind of snowballed and you ended mm -hmm. up uh, getting thrown into a lot of great situations with working with other people, so, yeah. So what, you know, Going from being a, a, a road guy to being a session guy, is it a smooth transition? Or, you know, what do you have to do as a musician to make that transition from being a road player to being a recording player? Well, I think everybody's story is different as far as that goes. All I can tell you is what my mind went. I okay. just, uh, um, you know, it, it just, as it turns out, I just, as I started to to get recommended for different things, things just kind of snowball. You know, if somebody's used you on something and somebody else has heard it, they naturally say, "Hey, who's that guy?" You know, let's let's try him. You know, and that's kind of how that, those things go. So, but as far as like technically, did <clears throat> you know? Was there any kind of learning curve when it came to to being to recording instead of playing live with someone? Oh yes. Okay. Oh yes. There there's definitely a learning curve. It's just kind of like when you're. When you're playing live, <clears throat> there can be a lot of forgiveness in the room, <laughs> you know, as far as things being tight and the necessity to be just absolutely precise. But uh, when you're recording, it's like being under a microscope. You've got to really know your stuff. You got to, you got to know where the pocket is. You got to know how to play in tune, and you got to know how to play the right parts. And none of that comes extremely easy. Expect. Ex especially knowing the right things to play. But I've spent a lifetime, you know, playing in rhythm sections and stuff, listening to what's going on around me, and that's the most important part about it, is just being able to hear what another guitar player is doing or a keyboard player and, you know, focusing your part around what they're doing. If it's more of a, especially if it's more of a keyboard-driven thing, you obviously want to complement that. Uh, you know, for instance, if I hear a keyboard player that's playing, uh, if he's playing more stuff at the big, uh, at the top of a bar, you know, and well, I'll maybe embellish it by playing the backside of the bar, adding stuff to that, you know, just to kind of stay out of the way and that that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's just it certainly is an art that you have to learn. You just you can't read about it, and you can't study it. You just have to do it, you know. Mm -hmm. yeah. So fortunately enough, I had. To, I got paid for for on-job training, so. <laughs> so you talk about, you know, being in, did you ever, you know, like practice with a metronome or any anything to kind of help you play in the pocket, or was it all just on-the-job training? Well, uh, you know, interesting enough, uh, as much as I preach to younger players about learning to play in time and play with a metronome every chance you get, I was spending so much time at home with, you know, working with drill machines and stuff and recording, I would, I kind of consider that part of the training, you know, to be yeah. able to record and hear what you're doing and, and see if it's in the pocket, you know, and, and realizing your weaknesses. Do I play on top of the beat and when I'm playing this kind of a groove, do I, or do I play behind or whatever? So you kind of, you kind of start honing that you, and you realize that when you get into other situations, you'll, you'll know what to do, so. When you first started playing sessions, what were some of the what were some of the gear that you were using at that point? You know, was this I guess in the eighties? Was it still kind of in a, in a period where people were going direct and then using rack gear and and what? yeah? Uh, when I came in to the scene, it 
everybody was going rat crazy. Okay. Uh, as a matter of fact, I made the comment some time back, I would like to go back and apologize for everything that I played on records in the 80s because <laughs> <laughs> it was all this processed gack, you know, <laughs> but, but, you know, it was certainly the, the style of the times. It was things that you had to do. And, you know, at that time, it was just, it, it was not uncommon to have, uh, you know, four or five amps that were slave loaded that ran through different processors, you know, uh, rack mounted processors, like an eventide and other echo units and what have you to have all that stuff if you needed it. And when I've always been the kind of guy that my favorite thing to do whenever I can is just the bare minimum, you know, just plug straight into an amp if I can, if I can't, you know, it's obvious you got to have some effects sometimes, you know, delays and things to enhance what you're doing for certain situations. So, but I've always been more of a purist, but at that time, you know, I had I had all that rack stuff going on like everybody else, and and uh, it was, I think, as much as anything, it could have been about bells and whistles and pressing people, <laughs> so, unfortunately. <laughs> but <laughs> when, when did things change? When did things change from the, the rack, you know, kind of fixation with, with rack effects and slaving and such? Well, I noticed uh, probably in the later part of the 90s, People started getting back to more basics of plugging into amps and going for just real great guitar tones like you were getting back in the 60s and 70s, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's when it seems like it started fading, phasing out to me, you know. So I had, you know, I had a Bradshaw rig for a long time that had all this stuff. And then one day I just like, I'm done. So stripped it all apart and sold it on eBay and <laughs> started using amps and pedal boards again and, that kind of thing, so. So in, uh, again, back, to, you know, getting back to, you know, session work and uh, and working with these clients, I'm, I'm guessing that relationships are a big part of these, you know, accounts and, and such. Oh, sure. I mean, that's what this whole business is about, is making relationships with people and, and uh, know how to get along with people. And it's like uh, I've told people before, what, they're like, who, who do you hire for sessions and why? I'm like, well, you know what? There's an abundance of great players. I usually like to hire those people that I know are going to show up with a great attitude and a great sense of humor and have a great time that day. That's, that's the kind of people <laughs> you want to be surrounded with, you know, that's uh, easygoing and, and can get the job done. So, yeah. with the, like I said, with an abundance of players, uh, great players there are here in town. There's no reason why you you can't have that every time. So, have you have you seen a number of players that came into town that were were great, mm -hmm. and then on the session they just they couldn't get along well with others, and they. You know what? Uh, <clears throat> I would say that was a. There may be one or two, but it was it's, it's a very rare exception. You know, I mean, I think there's such a great brotherhood of uh, musicians here that and everybody gets what it's all about and they, they get that it's about getting along and and be being willing to do whatever and go the extra mile you know so uh, for the most part it's always been a great situation you know to be involved with the other folks and hardly ever have I encountered anything that was on the negative side so yeah. good tell uh, I know that you you have done some touring over the past you know, well, since since the '80s, you've done some touring off and on. I think you <clears throat> did you tour with Winona at one point. I did. I did a short spring and summer tour with her at one point. You know, so yeah, got to. And they asked me to go out and replace one of the guitar players, and and uh, the uh, 
the thing that enticed me to do so was there was a trip to Hawaii and, and a supposed <laughs> trip to uh, uh, Europe later on. So mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, I think I might could do that. So yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Met, yeah, her yeah. band at that time, a great bunch of players and great people. And I really enjoyed uh, the experience and it was uh, it was good to yeah. get to get out and get get the live thing on every once in a while, yeah. you know. So, have you also done some of the uh, Christmas tours with Amy Grant and Vince Gill? I have done those off and on through the years as well. So yeah, yeah. yeah. But, and I have to say, the <clears throat> years ago when Amy was doing those uh, Christmas tours with the Nashville Symphony, that was that was certainly a highlight for me, you know, in a musical career to to be a part of a such an entourage of great musicians every night on stage, you know, and there's like seven or eighty people on stage and everybody's part is very important as how it's played and how it's performed and when it all comes together it was just it was always a beautiful thing for sure. So Right. When you did those Christmas tours, did you have a, a, a large arsenal of instruments that you carried with you? I mean were you having to cover a lot of different bases? I was having to cover quite a bit because doing those uh types of shows there was as we all know, Christmas music can is a can be a range, a wide range of uh, musical styles, and uh, you got everything from jazzy kind of things to more country to pop things all involved in that. I remember at one point I was actually not only playing like a jazz box type of guitar, but you know you're doing acoustic stuff, and there was a part I was playing slide on, and there was all kinds of different uh, things that uh, that involved. Uh, you know, playing uh, as far as different musical styles and stuff, and which I love that because I love versatility, and I always felt like if there's something I had a uh, that not that I really bring to the table, it's it's it is versatility as far as styles of music because I've just done so many different types of music through the years. So, so when somebody says, "Hey, you know, I need you to be a bluegrass player today," I'll put on a bluegrass hat, you know, and or if I'm you know going to be the jazz rock guy, I'll I'll put that hat on. I just I feel like I've been really, you know, a great chameleon when it comes to doing the different types of music and stuff, you know, so. Yeah. Well, you you continue to do session work, mm -hmm. and then you've also done a number <coughs> of solo albums, and mm -hmm. these uh, solo albums, some of them have been acoustic, and then you've also done uh, some more, you know, kind of jazz rock, mm -hmm. kind of fusion mm -hmm. type type albums, and uh, and I know in town that uh, you've, you've had, a, uh, you've, Played a number of gigs, and you've you've even flown in like Keith Carlock to play drums for you, and and uh, those have been you know pretty pretty impressive. So how did you hook up with Keith Carlock? Well, I actually met Keith. He was uh, playing a gig at Third Lindsley here in Nashville one night with uh, uh, a guitar player from New York, Osnoy, and Michael Rhodes, who was playing bass. He introduced me to Keith, so that's how I first met Keith, <clears throat> and then I I just finished. Uh, uh, one of my jazz fusion records, and, and I was talking with Keith uh, later on at another show, and uh, just asking if he'd be interested, in maybe you know, doing some gigs with me. And he said, absolutely. So that's just it was just as simple as that. So yeah. he said, I'm here in town. I want to play. And yeah. great guy, great great musician. So yeah, it was so such an honor. Does he live in in New York or, or, or Keith or lives here now? Okay. He uh, he was traveling back and forth uh, from. Um, uh, New York and Nashville for quite a bit of time. Actually, uh, he had a place here in Spring Hill at the time, I think. And uh, so, um, but he's actually sold his place, I guess, or whatever he had going in New York, and he's here full time now. So, yeah, lives on the Franklin area. Very nice. Yeah. Now, some of the other projects that I've I've seen you, you know, being involved with, 
there's a number of tribute bands that you've been you know, mm -hmm. playing with. So uh, one is called uh, 12 Against Nature, mm -hmm. and it's a, uh, you know, kind of a takeoff on uh, the, the Steely Dan uh, the album was, it was Two Against Nature. Yeah. And yeah. so it's 12 Against Nature. And, uh, you know, when, when you all have performed, there have been, you know, people are lined up around the block to, to see, see y'all play, and y'all do a great, you know, take on, uh, you know, kind of a lot of the, the Steely mm -hmm. Dan, you know, hits. So playing all those Steely Dan songs, and you're getting to play a lot of the licks that you grew up listening mm -hmm. to and kind of, you know, and playing the licks of your heroes. So what are some of your favorite things to play, you know? Oh, wow, on those songs. Yeah. Well, um, you know, things that always stand out to me on those records is uh, my buddy Larry Carlton, who to me is just the king of soulful, great, tasty lines, you know, so anytime mm -hmm. I get to play any tune that's got his licks on it, I'm always honored to be a part of doing that, so it's yeah. always fun to kind of try to replicate what he does. Right. So, uh, but, you know, it, interesting, too, uh, my my buddy Jay Graydon, who played the uh, the uh, solo on Peg, you know, mm -hmm. I I remember talking to him email one night, I said, hey, man, I got to do it got to do a gig uh, tomorrow night, I got to play your solo. And he's like, you better play it note for note too. <laughs> Just joking with me. And, <laughs> and so fast forward, I was at the NAMM show one year and and uh, and we were talking, he, he had talked to me about the, the peg solo in the, in the email backing up. He, he said, he said, tell you the truth, I don't remember what I did on that thing. So, um, um, but uh, but you better play it note for, you know, just joking with me. And, and uh, so he, he said, I just kind of remember the shape of it and that kind of thing. So we get to the NAMM show and I'm hanging with him and we end up at some booth trying out some stuff and he handed me the guitar and I just started playing the peg solo and I got two notes into it. He stopped me and said, no, that's not what I did right there. I actually bent it this way. And I'm like, I said, hey, you told me you didn't remember. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> he did remember. <laughs> he did <Yeah>. remember. <laughs> he did remember. Love that guy, man. He's so yeah. funny. So, uh, so yeah, getting to play, you know, Carlton and, and, yeah. and Jay Gray's, yeah, yeah. you know, stuff. Emulate. You know, and I, I love doing that. I've always loved that music. You know, at this at this point of life and in, in, in a music career, it's like, hey, you know, to get to play that iconic music, which is kind of uh, kids these days don't even know anything about, you know, it's not like you're going to get that opportunity very often to, to do something like that. So I just kind of jumped at the opportunity when uh, Scott Sheriff, the guy that, heads up the group and he asked me to play. I'm like, yeah, right. I definitely want to do that. So, yeah. yeah. And, and then with your brother Ron, yeah. you've uh, you've got kind of a an Eagles uh, trip, yeah. Eagles yeah. maniac, yeah. and then there's a Soul Cages. and, and Soul yeah. Cages, the Stinging Police thing, and then there's yeah. uh, the Eagle Maniacs, the so, Eagles tribute thing, yeah, so, so yeah. So those are kind of fun projects yeah. to have to kind of let your yeah. hair down uh, when, you're, when you're not you know, you know, sitting in the studio. Absolutely, it's like you spend your days in the studio trying to create something for somebody else, and uh, but to get out and play this iconic music, it's just a kind of therapy, so, yeah. you know, just enjoy doing it. Well, cool. Well, uh, let's take a break. All right. When we come back, we're gonna talk gear. All right. Ah, 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 ah,
So Tom, we're gonna we're gonna talk gear now. Mm -hmm. So first off, I've got to ask about this beautiful guitar. So it's obviously a Gibson three fifty five, mm -hmm. but what year is it? Nineteen fifty nine. Yeah. Wow. Um, I actually bought this in nineteen eighty one uh, at a place on Second Avenue in Nashville called the Pickin' Parlor. Yes. And a friend of mine, Jerry Jones, was working there at the time. And when I found this guitar, it this I bought this right before the vintage craze started happening. So I bought this guitar for like nine hundred bucks, and I was just like thrilled to have it. So at the time, it didn't. Have, this is not the original pick guard. Uh, I'm sure someone had taken that off. It probably one of those old acetate. Uh, pit guards that uh, was breaking down and started stinking, whatever. Uh, so that's been replaced. And someone had previously replaced the Bigsby that was on here for stop tailpiece, which I prefer this anyway. Right. You can you can see the... Uh, yeah, you can see the marks right yeah, here. They, with the, with the, uh, the collectors call that the snake bite. Yeah, the snake bite. That's right. <laughs> they call it the snake bite, which that's I think it. is a hilarious <laughs> term. But yeah, the, the two screw yeah. holes that the V7 Bigsby would have mounted on there. Exactly. So yeah, the, uh, the stop tail is uh, preferable to most players. Mm -hmm. And actually, uh, these are not the original tuners, but they're identical to what I had. And I still have the originals. These are just a little tighter and they stay in tune a little better. So that's the reason I've got them on there. But I do have the originals for that. So, And other than that, man, I love this guitar. This is one guitar that uh, when I go for something, it's just, it, it's just there. Unlike other guitars that I've owned that sometimes I have to fight to get a certain thing out of them. It's just... It just feels like it's part of you, you know. It's just one of those magical things you can't explain. So you've uh, you've moved the, uh, the the yeah the volume for the neck pickup and the uh, and the the toggle switch. Once been years ago, I got tried to get creative and thought I could you know be doing all kinds of pinky volume stuff with this uh, knob being here and because of Phil and, Keggy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, Phil, my you know another hero of mine. So, yes, uh, yeah, that exactly. But as it turns out, I. Don't do that much with it after all, and I'm too uh, lazy to switch it back around. So, <laughs> and then this guitar is is you know rarer in that you know besides it being a '59, it's also a uh, it's a uh, it's a mono mm -hmm. you know '355, which means it doesn't have the big clunker uh, veritone, veritone you know, switch, switch on no, it, and it doesn't no, have a yeah. stereo output jacks yeah, and, yeah. and all which I prefer it this way. Actually, yes, so. that's that's better better instrument. Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah. I like this guitar a lot. I so those, like this. Yeah. So those are the original PAFs that are still original in there? PAFs, and they are just they are sweet pickups for sure. So yeah. love this guitar. Yeah. Well, why don't why don't you play a little bit on on it? Let me, let's just hear it clean a little bit and hear the the different pickups. All right. So uh, yeah, uh, this is the uh, the front pickup that I'm playing on right now. So you know. mellow tone you can, you can even do that George Bensony thing with you know <laughs> very nice well uh and then of course the you know the, the double pickup thing for that uh, R&B kind of thing is so cool too 
And then the back pickup for that lead stuff is really awesome. So I'm gonna throw in a little bit of uh, distortion here from the uh, from the Route 66. <laughs> pickup you know was kind of uh, some motown yeah. kind of type yeah. you know playing and when you, you started you started playing uh, with your uh, with your with your was that your index finger yeah that you were using? Yeah. I, yeah it's just kind of a that's crazy a weird thing that i've uh, kind of uh, gotten into through the years and because when i first started playing guitar as i mentioned earlier i grew up playing fingerstyle guitar with a chet atkins thing and uh, somehow i just developed this thing of playing rhythm guitar on electric guitar by just using my fingers. I mean, I'm the only time I that I'm really using the pick was I, when I'm playing single lines because hmm. I don't even need this, you know, playing rhythm stuff. I mean, that's basically all I'm doing most of the time is using these fingers to play rhythm. Even you know, like real funky stuff. Any other unorthodox uh, techniques that you have that you need to <laughs> probably, show Probably, probably the whole thing's unorthodox because I've never had a, a single uh, formal lesson in my life, you know, just wow. of uh, years of uh, observing other people and probably picking up other people's bad habits. So. <laughs> who, you know, just uh, a quick aside, so who are, you know, you've mentioned Larry Carlton and we yeah, mentioned yeah. in passing, you know, Phil Keggy. Yeah. Who are some other, you know, big influences, and Chet Atkins, who are some mm -hmm. other big influences? Uh, well, of course, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, rock, blues, cast, you know, Robin Ford, uh, I have to say this, an influence. Scott Henderson, great, great player. And and I dropped my pick on the floor. Let me pick this up. So, oh, wait, we got one right here. I'm studying now. So, perfect. Oh yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's been so many great players. I mean, rock, great rock players, too. I mean, uh, Jimmy Page has to influence everybody in the rock world, I'm sure, yeah. at some point, you know. And, uh, Golly, uh, uh, and my buddy I mentioned uh, earlier, Steve Lukather, that cat just, he's ridiculous, man. He just plays so soulful. Mm -hmm. and, uh, but, uh, man, yeah, I just, just love doing all kinds of stuff. I like yeah. guitar, yeah. So today you brought your pedal board. Uh-huh. And then uh, you, you you know you didn't bring an amp, and so we had a, a, an AC30 here for you to play through. Mm -hmm. Now, what kind of amps do you use in the studio most of the time? Uh, I try to maintain the different food groups of amps, which is to me is something that's Fenderish, something Marshallish, and something that's Voxish. So, okay. So. Uh, and so what do you use for those flavors? Well, you know what? Actually, I've got a great AC30 that I that I love, that I've had it tweaked through the years, and it's just uh, a sweet-sounding amp for the box stuff. Um, and uh, I actually have a, uh, a really great um, uh, 1983 uh, JCM Marshall that I 
have. And also an amp that I really love is made by uh, a company here in town, Third Power Amps, mm -hmm. HD100. It's just kind of a, it's kind of a Marshall hybrid, I guess is the best way to describe it. So, but just a really thick, sweet sounding amp, you know, just for high gain stuff. And, and I also have a, um, you know, for live things, I, a lot of times I will end up using, I've got a couple of Bogner ecstasies that uh, I like oh. using live just for the simple fact they're three channel amps. You can go instantly from clean to dirty to to really high gain stuff instantly. And, and uh, so, uh, you know, plus I have some combo things, the deluxe and, uh, you know, those kind of things that uh, right. everybody yeah. wants to have. But, but the great thing that uh, I've, Kind of uh, stumbled into for that I've been using probably about five years now is the uh, the Kemper amp modeler. So yeah. I've been able to model all my amps into that and for sessions, if especially on a if it's something quick, down and dirty, you know, you can just grab that and you've got all your amps in that box and ready to go. So wow, it's uh, fast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so in front of the the Kemper or different amps, so you've got a pedal board mm -hmm. here. Now, is is this kind of your grab-and-go pedal board, or do you have, like, a bigger one that you use in the studio? Or I do have a bigger one. Uh, I use this most of the time these days, but uh, I have another huge thing that uh, uh, actually I have uh, a, a, a taller rack with drawers of pedals in it that I can access through a MIDI switcher. And uh, But a lot of times I will use this board in conjunction with like the Kemper or something like that, you know, mm -hmm. or maybe just uh, take a couple of amp heads and, and go. But most of the time, it's this pedal board and the Kemper for the most part. So. Okay. Well, let's I, talk about this yeah. pedal board. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Uh, you're, you you go from your guitar, and what yeah. what does your signal hit first? Uh, I'm actually uh, hitting a buffer down here made by uh, Creation Audio. Okay. And, uh, that's kind of tucked down in. On the side of the guitar there. Okay. So then out of the buffer, where are you going? Then I'm then I'm hitting the the full tone wall, mm -hmm. and from there it, I'm going into a series of uh, overdrive preamp units that I have here, um, and and I think they're all kind of chained as as I'm looking at them. And but I have this uh, swell pedal uh, that actually has a real tube in it that kind of uh, is a little more distinctive from the rest of the stuff and. Um, and then uh, the visual sound, or as it has become known, True Tone. Uh, I have the EXO pedal that I love. It's just a great overdrive pedal for rock stuff. And uh, then uh, there's a Full Tone pedal I have with the Plim Soul. I, what I love about the Plim Soul, it's, uh, it's just a real sweet sounding pedal. So when you want to do some kind of sweet bluesy sounds, you know, it's, uh, it's really great for that. And then, of course, I have the um, combination here of the, uh, well, it's the Route 66, which is a distortion and compression pedal, mm -hmm. and which I love that pedal. That's kind of been an industry standard for a long time. And uh, and then we have uh, on the end over here, uh, the what did you say this was earlier? This the, is the Custom Shop Overdrive. The Custom Shop Overdrive <laughs> <laughs> from True Tone. So. Yes. So uh, and I and I love that pedal. It's just it's just something about having that pedal on a lot of times, especially even in rhythm situations. It just it just seems to give more life, more presence to the, the overall signal. It's just it's one of my 
faves. It's just kind of that that pedal that you you could do without, but you don't want to do without. You know, <laughs> it's just uh, it just adds a lot of nice uh, girth to your tone and and has breath in, it, and I love it. It just makes everything come alive. So, and this and that's a uh, this. You know, it's chromed yep. pedal. That's uh, that's another Creation Audio pedal. Yes, the that's boost. the Mark 423. That's yeah. their volume boost. Yeah. And uh, and then uh, I have uh, a little tremolo pedal on here, just uh, for quick, down and dirty, uh, you know, things. Uh, for you need a little, little shaking going on. There it is. You know, it's uh, it's it's the baby face uh, tremolo from Love Pedal. And uh, then all that goes into uh, well. First of all, all the distortion stuff is before the volume pedal. Then after that, I, I hit the um, um, tremolo pedal and the M9 for effects, for delay effects and reverb effects and uh, pitch bend effects and what have you. So it's, that's, that's uh, a great little package for what it is. So, I mean, for instance, there's some... Uh, you know, coursing kind of things with the... It's a tri-course sound there. And then, you know, it's got great reverb stuff. And if you want to just do some really wacky stuff, it's, I mean, it's just... And of course, you know, you got your delay sounds. So that's basically the pedal board in a nutshell. So, well, you you kind of showed us you know the volume pedal and, and some of mm -hmm. the things that you use the M9 for. Can you give us? Uh, you've got a couple of different you know drive mm -hmm. you know, sounds going here. Could you you know play a little bit and maybe yeah. kind of you know let us hear what each you know drive sounds like or how how you sure. use each one? So well, let's know. start with the swell pedal over here. Yeah. Uh, what I love about this pedal, it's just real singy. You know, it's got a lot of compression to it. And it's, it has a real tube in there, a little uh, 12AX7, I'm sure. And uh, it's just, you know. Okay, which, which pedal would you use for the, uh, the peg solo? Uh, that pedal, I see. What would I probably use? I would probably use... The XO for okay. that, you know. Can can you play some of that? For us? See. I can remember it. <laughs> 
And then whatever that other crazy <laughs> and bit then, is. And then the crazy bit. <laughs> 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 Very nice. Thank you. Okay, so we, we did the the swell yeah. pedal, yeah, and then uh, we heard the uh, we heard I guess we the, heard part of the the XO, and then this is the plimsoll. The plimsoll, yeah, it's just a nice smooth bluesy kind of pedal. And then we have the Route 66. Of course, the compressor is, you know, that is so cool. Real snappy, you know. And then um, the uh, distortion section uh, section of this is just, if I can talk. Uh, one of my favorite sounds. It's nice and thick, and it's just got that thing, you know, for... It's hard to beat that. And the custom shop overdrive? Custom shop overdrive, right here. So we're talking... It's a nice little grunt in the tone, you know. So. Absolutely. <laughs> well, very cool. Yeah. And then, you know, of course, we got the volume boost here, which is, I love uh, the Mark 423 from Creation Audio. It's just it's so transparent, you know. I can kick it up a little bit there. Very cool. Yeah. And it's a, kind of another one of those pedals that uh, it, sometimes it just sounds good to have it on, you know. It just yeah. pushes the front of an amp a little bit to to make it uh, talk. So let's uh, let's let's grab one of your other guitars. Okay. okay, sounds good. So Tom, tell us about this great looking Strat you have here. This is a uh, Fender Custom Shop, uh, late '90s. I'm not sure exactly the year. Uh, and uh, I've done quite a few mods to this thing. Um, one being, you, you can't notice on camera, I've had, actually had the neck taken down uh, a bit and thinned out. I, I'm, I'm a thin neck guitar guy, I love that feel. And uh, so, so who, do you, who do you take a guitar to to have the neck thinned? Uh, I take it to Joe Glazer. Yeah. He's been working on my guitars here in town for years, so yeah. Joe's one of the best. So you just kind of tell him, hey, I, I want you know, I want some of the, the back of the neck you know, taken down. Do you have like an idea of what kind of shape? Or? Sure. Uh, as a matter of fact, I've kind of took my uh, 355, of which the neck I love on that is, yeah. it's, it's kind of uh, what I gauge everything against pretty much. So uh, I took that guitar and said, take the measurements, and I want this to feel close to that as I can. So that's what they did, you know. All right. 
So does that help you going from guitar to guitar to kind of have a, even though it's, there, obviously there's going to be a difference in scale length yeah. and tremolos and things like that, but still it's going to... It certainly help. does help with the feel, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it feels more of what you're, if you can find necks that all kind of uh, have the same shape and uh, and width and stuff, it certainly helps making transitions, you know, so. Yeah. So uh, what, what kind of pickups are in the guitar? Lenny Fralin pickups. Uh, I love his pickups. They're just... They maintain that great Fender tone with a little more output to them, you know. And uh, and then I've also, uh, electronic-wise, I have, uh, and Joe did this for me as well, I have a different selection here of, uh, of pickups because I can actually, where normal, uh, you know, Strat pickups, you either got a choice of each one or a combination of these two or these two. Uh, Joe wired this to where I can use the back... Uh, which was a uh, a tone pot, he he made that uh, a mix pot so I can mix in uh, uh, the uh, front pickup and have these two together. So it sounds like a telly then. So. That's just the back, and that's with the you know. It's a nice sound. Yeah, yeah. and uh, it, it just adds a lot more versatility to the sound of the guitar. Hmm. So it's uh, you can pretty much make it sound like anything. Yeah. And uh, and then there's also, as far as the neck goes, I, I, in an effort to make this the, the tremolo stay in tune without having to go all the way to the route of a Floyd Rose, uh, I have a, one of the Fender LSR roller nuts. I had Joe put that on there, and these locking tuners as well. So the Fender locking tuners, which Great. which helps. You know, it's not foolproof, but it certainly helps. So yeah, and that bridge is not the stock bridge. Is no, it? this is made by a company called Super V, and it, it, they uh, their tremolo is it feels much like uh, the normal tremolo you would have on this guitar, but it actually bends in a different spot right in here and uh, it's just real smooth and it's a really really smooth feeling tremolo so and I had and I normally have uh, the bar or the the, the, the tailpiece sits really close to the body but I, I allow just a little wiggle room just for uh, you know this kind of thing mm -hmm. but I, I kind of do a little secret of mine I just put a little piece of velcro back there behind it so that you can still get it spongy, but it won't be bumping the body of the guitar. Right. You know? So you won't hear the yeah. clunking. You won't, yeah, exactly. Right. Now, tell us about this. Uh, what is this, like something that you do for your hair or something like that? Yeah, <laughs> no. Some companies made these uh, specifically for the guitars. It's just, a, it's just a muting thing. So when you're doing some high-gain stuff, uh, for instance, uh, if you got, uh, you know, if you got a bunch of noisy kind of... You kind of hear that ringing in the background. You know, right? It kind of cleans it up, you yeah. know, a little bit. So yeah. So instead of you know, so it looks a little nicer than hair scrunchy. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> and uh, and uh, it actually works better too. So yeah. So that's all. That's yeah. Use that. And sometimes if you're you're doing uh, some recording stuff where you're just kind of doing single note stuff and it's real exposed and you don't want to have any uh, uh, harmonics, uh, sympathetic harmonics going on and stuff, you know, that really helps to eliminate that as well. So. Very cool. 
Again, that's a beautiful color. Is that like champagne sparkle? Or it, it is champagne sparkle, yeah. Uh, I no. found this guitar at the Guitar Center in um, California years ago. I was out on tour and I uh, happened to walk in and saw this guitar and thought, hey, that looks pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> Picked it up. And the reason I bought the guitar as much as anything at the time is because it seemed to have a little wider nut, which I, I dig about uh, most guitars. I like it a little wider than normal. Uh, nut with on a guitar, so then I just had, and, and the, the neck was actually relatively thin at the time, but I just, I'm so in love with, with the 355, with the with the, the, the neck uh, thickness on that, that I I just took and had it kind of shaved down to more of that spe specifications too, so, yeah. and uh, makes, uh, makes it plain a lot easier for me, so. Well, show us like a couple different sounds that you'd use specifically with the Strat, you know, kind of stereotypical Strat stuff that you would, you know, that you would do. Well, you know, the obvious, the the typical Strat tones is going to either be the back two or the front two pickups, you know, and let's just, here's, this is the back two pickups, you know, which is, you hear a lot of, you know, kind of funky kind of music stuff, you know. Now, if you notice, we can kind of hear those strings ringing. Now, if I pull this guy up like that. No sympathetic vibration. So that really helps, you know. It, it does. I'm, I'm not having to eat my words. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is, a, that's a cool, that's a yeah. cool trick. Yeah. So. So it makes you sound a lot better than you really are yeah. for, as far as technique. So. <laughs> we, we can we can all use the help. <laughs> well, cool. Well, uh, so lately you've also been doing some uh, some production work too. You've been mm -hmm. doing some producing. So tell yes. tell me about that. I uh, just finished uh, a, a country record on a young artist from uh, Las Vegas, Sierra Black, myself, and uh, and uh, legendary producer Michael Martian, uh, one of my good friends. We. Uh, we just finished a project on her and really excited about that and starting to get some really nice uh, radio play going on and uh, excited about her career. She's a really great singer and got a great batch of songs going on here. And uh, so uh, very excited about it, yeah. 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 So are you wanting to get more more into production? Well, I, actually, I have been doing that off and on for quite a few years. You know? Okay. So, and I also just finished a uh, another project, which a lot of people don't realize, but I, I I do a lot of programming work as well, in addition to guitar playing. So I just there's another project I did from for an artist from Massachusetts that I programmed everything from the ground up. You know, did all uh, all the keyboard stuff, all the drums, all the, you know, played all the you know as far as bass, guitar, and stuff. And then you know, I have horn samples, string samples. I do all that stuff, you know, production wise. So wow, I'm kind of a little bit under. Under the radar with that kind of thing, but I do do a lot of that. So very nice. Well, Tom, I really appreciate you coming out. You bet, man. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.
This has been an audio presentation by TrueTone, truetone.com.